Support for this podcast comes from Transform. Recruiting Feature is excited to announce a partnership with Transform. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people innovation and transforming the world of work. Transform 2024 promises to be the best yet. You can expect three days of powerful content, innovation showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, over 300 speakers, and energising after-hours networking Las Vegas style. So, come and meet me in Vegas on March the 11th through the 13th. Register now and save $200 by going to mattalder.me slash transform. That's mattalder.me slash transform. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 590 of the Recruiting Future podcast. The last few years have taught us that no one can predict the future. However, you can develop the insight necessary to make accurate forecasts with the right combination of trend analysis and strategic thinking. We are currently in a period of accelerated change in talent acquisition, and it's essential to understand the direction of travel even if we can't predict the final destination. We must anticipate the skills that will be required in the future, how we can recruit them, and how talent acquisition must change to be fit for this new purpose. My guest this week is Russell Beck, Director of Inspiration at Imagine Think Do, and author of a new book called The World of Work to 2030. The book looks at the megatrends shaping the future, and Russell's background and experience in RPO means he can provide some relatable insights into the likely future of talent acquisition. Hi, Russell, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Pleased to be here. Thanks for inviting me. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please, could you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? So my name is Russell Beck. I am the director and of inspiration and co-owner of a company, Imagine Think Do. And we work with leaders to help them be the best they can and support their people so that they can be the best that they can. Fantastic stuff. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to do what you do now. So uh, by, by training, by qualification, I'm an engineer. Uh, so I spent the first uh, decade of my career designing or leading large scale project management teams uh, rolling out mobile networks across the world. I've worked in 25 plus countries. And I then moved more into the people side of things. I was European head of talent at Yahoo in the mid noughties. I was managing director of a 120 million pound turnover MSP uh, business, uh, Carlisle Managed Solutions. And I then became head of consulting from Pelham Group, the largest recruiter in the UK, turning over something like two billion pounds annually. I left them in February 2020. You know, what could possibly go wrong at that time? <laughs> to, to leave the corporate world and set up the, the consulting or to join the consulting company where I now am. So, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Absolutely. And so you've just written a really interesting book. Tell us about the book and why you wrote it. 
So yeah, the, the book, uh, The World of Work to 2030, a practical guide to future-proofing your business and your career. I never really set out to write a book. That wasn't the destination I had in, in, in mind in, back in the day. You know, as an engineer, I've always looked at things and tried to see why things are happening and, and seek out the cause and then what's happening and therefore answer the really important question, the so what? What does that mean? How can you apply that? Hence, practical in the, in the book title. And it was inspired by a number of things. My daughter, who's now 13, asking me questions that I couldn't always answer. Business leaders who I've been speaking to and who we work with, who were seeing just the environment change, the impact of COVID on work, the work contract, what that means, and just the general um, two big headlines in the world that have been going on for five to 10 years of we're all living longer and we can't afford to retire. So we need to have a job and a career that's going to last till our 70s or maybe our 80s. And at the same time, technology, AI, automation is going to destroy jobs. And, you know, 47% of jobs at risk of automation and so forth. You know, how are those two realities compatible? And that's what really drove and underpinned what the, the, the catalyst, if you like, for, for considering writing the book. You start the book with a, a lot of data to kind of back up what's going on and what, what might happen. Is, was there anything particularly surprising in the data that kind of you know, shocked you or, or you, know, you, you weren't expecting to find? Yeah, I, I wanted to do a. I always remember back in I don't know the 2005 or something like that. There was a YouTube video that had um, lots of just stats. You know, if there was a hundred people in the world, then this is China and America and India and degrees and, and all of this. And we all know that the world's changing. We fail to realise quite how fast it's changing and how quickly in places that are a long way away from us. And so I, I wanted to have an immersive section just to just to. Yeah, really get people to kind of open their eyes. And I, I think there's no one stat that surprised me other than just all of them together. So every year since 1955, something like that, life expectancy on the planet has increased by five months. I mean, that is a phenomenal stat when you consider it. And, and at the same time as living longer, our quality of lives are arguably far, far better. You've got you know, the stats on the, the average sub-Saharan African uses less electricity per year than my fridge, you know, which is astounding. Uh, we're having less children. Technology is everywhere and all-consuming and what it does. And globalization means we're connected and interconnected like never before. You just look at Silicon Valley Bank last year. So it, it wasn't so much a single stat that, stood out for me it was just all of them yeah no it does i mean the data makes for a really kind of interesting picture of where we're heading and some of those small things like everyone living five months longer you compound that by all the people in the world and it um it, it has some interesting consequences definitely you talk in the book a lot about mega trends what are the mega trends that we need to be aware of so in, in the megatrends, it was just, I wanted to have a structure to what is really going on in the world. So I, I, I pulled together six megatrends, and this is based on research. It's not, not mine that there's, there is these six megatrends. It's you know, McKinsey have written books on this and so on and so forth. So you've got urbanization and the rise of emerging economies and quite how fast they're growing and how quickly they're dominating economically. You have technology 
and obviously the rampant um, impact of Moore's law and how that's impacting uh, computer chips, but also increasingly AI. You have demography, how we're living far longer and having actually far less children, and that's dropping a lot quicker than people realize. We have globalization, and by that I really mean interconnectedness, how we're more interconnected in ways that we don't even realize, so therefore events from halfway around the world impact us without us even kind of realizing it. And you then have climate and the impact of the environment and how that will become one of the most defining aspects of life going forward. And the sixth one is politics, because I think you're seeing a change in politics and the increasing impact that politics has on the world. So those were the six headings. And I, though, I, I use those to, just to put things in context and to immerse people in what's happening and what's taking place. So what does this what does this all mean for the the workforce for work for skills you know what's the impact on um you know people and talent Sorry, I mean that, that's a Matt that's a, a great question and I've written 70,000 words on it so um <laughs> <laughs> the importance of the mega trends was to show what's going on because they are going to defi- they are defining what's happening but what I wanted the book to do was answer the question so what you know, what does that mean? How can I practically prepare for what is happening? And so I then focused, or I used five different lenses to look through in order to consider, you know, exactly that. And the lenses, you know, what does that mean for your business? You know, what does, that, what does all this mean for your business, your business strategy, how you do things, where you do things? the yin of flexibility with the yang of what the actual office is all about. The second lens was, what does this mean for our people and our talent in terms of, you know, the the work contract has been dramatically altered by COVID. It, It amplified, it fanned the flames that were already there. And what people want from work has changed. So whole looking at that aspect of um, people and talent, the third lens was looking at the future skills. So, you know, so what skills do we need in the future? And the very interesting follow-up question is, how are you going to hire them? The fourth lens was looking at sustainability and looking at sustainability through two, two approaches, the internal approach of diversity um, and looking at that because that drives innovation and the external lens of the environment and climate and the final so what was the far more personal one. You know, the previous four are all about business and people and strategy and so forth. The, the, the final, the fifth one was how do you, what does all that mean to future-proofing your career? What can you do in order to ensure that you have a career that provides fulfilling work, which gives you monetary reward because we've all become very accepting of our quality of life for the next two, three four decades. Let's dive into a couple of those. So the, I think the, the first one it would be interesting to talk about is future skills, what's needed and, and how do we get them? How do you see things evolving? What do people who are in talent acquisition need to be thinking about now in terms of what the future of skills is going to look like? Well, I think the World Economic Forum has done a lot of research on future skills, the skills businesses will need by 2025 and, and, and so on. And you know, really broadly and simplistically for time, 
the skills of the future, the skills businesses will really need in the future fall generically into two buckets. On the one hand, you've got innovation, creativity, storytelling, and so on. And on the other side, you've got people skills, people managing, leading, motivating, inspiring, engaging, and et cetera. And it's, it's reasonably obvious why those are the buckets, because technology, AI is and will, at an ever-increasing pace, remove the utility from work. So jobs or functions or processes that are definable, that are linear, that follow an ordered, structured process, that are repeatable, you know, A, B, C, D, E, repeat, 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 technology will do those. Those jobs will just go, or those elements of jobs will go. So what businesses will need are the skills that technology can't do. And those fall into those two buckets. The innovation storytelling, what's the hidden meaning? We're gonna be swamped by data. What does this actually really mean? How can we interpret that? And how can we communicate that to other people to make sense of it? Um, You're seeing a change and a shift in STEM to STEAM. So what we were seeing five, eight years ago, so it was STEM, STEM, STEM. And now you're seeing STEAM, the addition of the letter A, and A standing for art, because it's the the innovation, the creativity we need. AI has almost made coding a drag and drop function now. AI is almost writing its own code to a greater or lesser extent already. So it's the artist engineers that we're seeing, ironically, going back to the original artist engineer, Leonardo da Vinci. So that's one big bucket, the innovation, the crucible for new ideas and creativity and storytelling. And the other side is people skills, because people are probably the single biggest line item on a company's P&L. So if I could increase their productivity by just 1%, I would probably have a significant impact on the bottom line. And the people skills, so how do I regulate my emotions? How do I lead others? How do I motivate them? How do I engage them? How do I make the most of the skills? How do I get a team to storm, form, norm, and be productive as quickly as possible? Because that will drive productivity and therefore profitability. And increasingly, we're seeing that you know, one size fits one. It, you know, one size does not fit all in terms of people in leadership. And by 2030, certainly this is UK data, and it applies to a greater or lesser extent globally. By 2030, the biggest skill gap between business demand supply would be in digital skills. And the second one, very close behind, would be people management, people leadership. It's the people that make the difference. I think it's really interesting. And I think the interesting thing is when we talk about 2030, it's really not that far far ahead is it it's really not it's 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 not that far in it's not that far in the future there's obviously a big discussion within talent acquisition at the moment about things like skills based hiring about changing the recruitment process so you can kind of see the process beginning to start to sort of get to where it needs to by 2030 how do you think that hiring and recruiting sort of need to change in the next few years to be able to give businesses the, the 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 talent and skills they need that's a really good question and i think if you notice the skills that i've just articulated you know the skills of the future the skills that businesses will need 
are quite ephemeral to a greater or lesser extent. You know, they're, they're not, they're, they're slightly more intangible. And to a greater or lesser extent, businesses could struggle hiring the skills of today, which are a bit more technical, a bit more, you've got them all you have, a bit more binary kind of thing. So actually the problem is become, going to become exacerbated and exacerbated really quite quickly. So I think there's there's different ways and each business will be treading this path to get there. I think there's a an approach of actually, do you honestly know what you want? You know, do you honestly know what you need? You know, do you, for the jobs you're looking to hire, do you know? And I've said, I'm an engineer. I have a master's gained through research. So when I say no, do you have empirical evidence that the presence or the absence of a trait, a skill, a competency, a, you know, whatever label you wish to use to select or identify people, do you know that the presence or absence of that predicts success or failure in your people? And I think the normal answer to that question is not really. So I think actually observe your good people. You know, observe your good people and observe your less good people. And you won't crack this in a day, maybe not even a week or a month, maybe, but just observe what your good people do and what your less good people do and try and spot the difference and try and spot what they do and how they do it. Observe and then ask them questions. You know, whatever's relevant, pertinent to the situation. I notice you always have time for people. I notice you're always sharing. I notice you always are greeting people, I mean, whatever it is, and actually try and get into what is it that makes them good or less good? Because the research shows that in one report, I think from memory it was Leadership IQ, only 19% of hires are an unequivocal success. 46% of hires fail in the first 18 months. And if you put the numbers on that, and I, th I think I do in the book, if you put the numbers on that, the cost associated with poor hiring decisions is astronomical. It's astronomical and it's often hidden because it's intangible in that a bad hire causes resentment in colleagues. You lost a sale. You, the bad hire, you know, we call people, some people cultural terrorists, if you just want to use that term, just to label it for brevity and simplicity. And they poison other people. They get the, the bad hire goes home early. So everyone else thinks, why do I bother? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's the cost of bad hiring. It's invisible, but it's massive. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www 
www.wonolo.com slash pod. That's www.wonolo.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers. To focus in a bit more on the, the AI part of this, so it's obviously much speculation and forecasting about AI um, taking jobs away or taking parts of people's jobs away. And then we seem to kind of default to this optimistic vision that it's okay anytime there's been any kind of technical revolution, it's created more jobs than it's, than it's kind of lost. What's your, what's your, what are your kind of findings on that? What's your view on AI creating jobs, losing jobs? What's, what's going to happen? Interestingly, one of the biggest challenges in writing this book, I started writing just over a year ago, so what, December 22. ChatGPT had been launched the month before. <laughs> and uh, yeah, ChatGPT4 was uh, launched, what, in the middle of last year. And trying to assimilate and make sense of all the stories that were coming out then. I mean, if you cast your mind back a year, you know, six months, it was from one end of the scale, terminated doom and gloom. We were all supposed to be out of a job by June, so that was the most hardcore prediction. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was doom and gloom. It was, you know, one end of the scale, it was Terminator, uh, the end of civilization as we know it. And at the other end of the scale, it was, you know, we're all here, we're human, etc. And, you know, the obvious answer is there's going to be something in between. I think, I think an interesting point, that one of the, one of the best quotes, I, I think, is... I don't think you'll lose your job to AI. You will lose your job to someone who knows how to use AI. Because actually, if you cut back from the noise, and I do this in the book, cut back from the noise and actually, what is it doing? What is the technology, whether it's AI, whether it's automation, whether it's exoskeletons in manufacturing, what is that technology doing? And if you take a step back, what it's doing is removing your uniqueness. It is dumbing the job down. It is meaning that anyone could do the job. And you could say, as you've already hinted, Matt, that, you know, was it ever thus? Excel dumbed down doing a spreadsheet. PowerPoint dumbed down doing a presentation. It's just AI is going to turbocharge that and make it faster, quicker, and focus potentially more on what has been white collar jobs rather than manufacturing jobs. But what the technology does, if you take the step back, is it, it removes your uniqueness. Why I hired you, Matt, for this job, because you have the skill to do it. The business corollary, of course, is AI opens up talent pools that you've never considered before. If I don't need someone who's in the, take the manufacturing example. If I don't need someone who has to carry around heavy tools all day, every day, I don't need someone who's more of a gym fit, you know, really fit and butch and works out. Anyone can do the job now. So actually, going back to the earlier answer, what characteristics do I need in my people? What attributes do predict success? It completely changes it. And I think that's the important point. We all miss, of all the noise, we miss that. Tech will destroy jobs. Was it ever thus? The nominally, historically, more jobs have been created through the technological revolutions than have been lost. 
So in the example in the book, I've got a manufacturing example. Two people wearing exoskeletons are more productive than three without, which is great. But you've obviously you've lost nominally a third of the headcount, but you've created the jobs in the creation of the exoskeleton, the design of the exoskeleton, the servicing of it, the associated industries, the promotions, and so on and so on and so forth. More people were hired by banks after the introduction of ATMs than before the introduction of ATMs. So will that replicate going forward? Potentially. Potentially, but the, the skills are obviously very different. So I suppose that leads nicely onto my final question. What can people do to future-proof their careers? And I suppose with particular relevance to the, the audience who are listening, what can we be doing right now to make sure that you know we have that sense of uniqueness in this sort of very, very AI-driven world? Yeah, I think, I mean, a couple of things immediately spring to mind in terms of Lifelong learning, yeah, it's, 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 it's a, I think I think the quote is it's a truism so so bad that it makes your teeth jar. But actually, yeah, it, it, it's you've got to keep learning. It's amazing if you actually think about your learning and the time you spend studying or educating, etc. A question for everyone to consider and take away: What percentage of your lifelong learning budget was spent? by the time you left university, if that was your, your or your highest educational qualification, and how much was spent after you joined the workforce? If for a lot of people, the answer to that question is probably, I don't know, 90, 90, 85, 80% of my entire lifelong learning educational budget was spent by the age of 21, and we're still working 40 years later. So there's an observation. So lifelong learning, definitely. I think know what you are. So Linda Gratton called it the T-shaped career. It's been called the V-shaped career. But actually, know what you are and what your value is. What are you the expert in? And be the best. So have an appreciation of where you fit into work, business, what's going on. You know, that horizontal bar of the T, if you like. But the vertical is know what uh, know your expertise and be the best at it. Average is no longer enough. And I suppose also it's detaching that identity from your job title. So you're not a recruiter anymore. You're whatever that you know, whatever this looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And it's you, 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 in, in that one sentence is a whole host of things. I think just spring to mind. I'm not always 100% sure if, and you may completely disagree, I'm not always 100% sure if CEOs care too much about cost of hire or time to hire. You know, if you, if you think really what time to hire is, it's it's almost, to, to an extent, a boast about how quickly you spend your money. And you'd never do it that way in your personal life. But actually, quality of hire, impact of hire, the the ability to get talent that, takes your business on. I said earlier about 19% of people, only 19% of hires are on unequivocal success. Some of the research by McKinsey shows that a good hire, someone who knocks it out the park, is eight to, up to eight times more productive than an average hire. And as the complexity of a job increases, 
so that multiple goes up. If you just think what that means for a moment, someone who is a good hire, the great hire, the, the fits, skill, culture, however you're defining fit or whatever, someone who really is spot on could be eight times more productive. Imagine what that does to your business. Absolutely. So finally, just tell us the title of the book again and where people can find it. So it's called The World of Work to 2030, A Practical Guide to Future-Proofing Your Business and Your Career. It's available on Amazon. It's launched on the 1st of February 2024 in the UK and the 1st of April from memory in the US. It's available from Bloomsbury and all local bookstores. Russell, thank you very much for talking to me. Absolute pleasure, Matt. Have a great day. My thanks to Russell. You can follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast, and get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.